Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this second class in our series on the book of Haggai called The Glory Will Be Greater. The glory will be greater. Now we're into chapter two of the book of Haggai, verses two, uh, verses one to nine, building on what we saw last time uh, as we examine the challenge to our assumptions regarding God's timing for God's work, making God our priority, seeking to bring God pleasure and honor. Chapter one, verse eight, a calling to soberness, examining our circumstances to see what God might be teaching them through, teaching us through them. A call to act for God's pleasure and honor, no matter what our circumstances, the reassurance of God that he is with us and an intimacy that develops as we cooperate with God and work together with him. So that's the background to chapter two. And here we find that there's a second uh, message coming through Haggai to the people of Israel. In the second year of King Darius, 21st day, seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, spirit, uh, the secular leadership, governor of Judah, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, the spiritual leadership, and to the remnant of the people, those who been brought back from exile to uh, the promised land, and ask them, who of you, big question this, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? rhetorical question it's a heap of stones it's a ruin still verse four words of faith but now be strong your feelings about the past your observations about the present don't mean that we cannot be strong acting for god but the but is there because it's about god this may be the reality you can see but god and but now be strong not next week next month when you feel like it not when everything's lined up but now be strong and the fact that he's able to say be strong means that they are capable of being strong enough for the work that god has called them to be strong zerubbabel declares the lord be strong joshua son of Josadak, the high priest be strong all you people of the land all the people of the land remember earlier in chapter one these people say the time has not yet come. It's like God had disowned them. Now that they have engaged themselves with the work, they're the people of the land, reminding them that it is God who gave them the land in the first place through the efforts of Moses and Joshua. And he's the God who gave back the land to them post-exile as well by working through Cyrus of all people. The people of the land declares the Lord and work. Be strong and work. You can do it. For I am with you. Those are the key words. I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you. And reminding them of what happened when they came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. He's close and present and active. And those three words at the end of that verse, so significant. Do not fear. We don't need to fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. The desired of all nations, Messiah, maybe Messiah's going to come, will come, of course. John chapter two, Jesus comes into the temple. He is now in a sense of the temple. He's bringing God's glory and flesh into the temple. It says the Lord Almighty, the silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house 
will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty keeps coming up time and time again, doesn't it? Let's have a look at a couple of points and then uh, you can have some discussion in your local groups about what's relevant here, perhaps in your local situation. So uh, Haggai or God through Haggai speaks to everybody, the secular, the spiritual leadership and the whole group. Everybody matters. I think that's one little lesson perhaps for all of us, which is that in a group, no matter how small, in a local family group, everybody's wholeheartedness matters. If somebody's not kind of with us, then we've got a problem. And I'm not talking about every now and again, we're all a bit weak from time to time, but more uh, we need to call each other to faithfulness, as Haggai does there with all the people and Joshua and uh, and uh uh, and Zerubbabel. So we notice that all parts of the community are addressed. And they're asked to be sober and think about the reality and essentially, I think, how they are feeling about it. Remember the old uh, temple? Some of you are old enough. Maybe Haggai was. A Jewish tradition has it that Haggai was old and maybe did remember uh, 66 years ago when the old temple was demolished. Maybe he can uh, remember what it was like. And looking at that, and then thinking about where we are now might make them a bit afraid about the future. Will that new temple ever be rebuilt, finished? Will it ever look anything like as good as the old one? The old one was amazing. With Solomon's temple, it was one of the, the wonders of the world. People came from all over the world to see it. Solomon's wealth was legendary. Of course, his wisdom, his cultural achievements are amazing as well. And the, here they are, a small group who've done nothing for 15 years after getting back into the promised land, and this temple is still a mess, they're called to rebuild it. They have started, but maybe it's taking them longer than they expected. Getting all the materials from the mountains mentioned in chapter one, maybe it's dangerous and hard work. Maybe they're afraid of what else might, might happen to them in the meantime, because not everybody's going to be positive about this work that's going on. And that's why they're called to be courageous. That's why they're told to be strong. Very similar to Joshua chapter 1, going into the promised land, be strong and courageous to Joshua. And of course, the people needed that too. And do not be afraid. What are they perhaps afraid of? There's a lot to be potentially afraid of, isn't there? Perhaps there's a fear of Cyrus or other kings reversing those decisions to let them go back to the promised land. Perhaps there's fear of standing out by finishing the temple. They were presumably a minority in the land. Perhaps there's fear of compromising personal comfort if the priority is then to rebuild the temple. Uh, perhaps there's fear of God not reversing the economic curses that are mentioned in chapter 1 and later on in chapter 2, if they, uh, even if they take him at his word. Will they get all the land, uh, will they get all the, the crops in and, uh, and find the wealth that they were thinking they might uh, and should and could uh, achieve by their own efforts? There's a lot potentially to be afraid of. And there's always, for you and I, a lot potentially to be afraid of in this life. Fear of standing out. Fear of standing up for what we believe in. Fear in letting people know what our convictions are. Fear of, will it be worth it to invest this time and energy and money uh, into the work of the kingdom? Uh, what if we're not seeing much in the way of results right now? What if we think the past was more glorious than the present or even that the future could be? Some of us who've been around a while need to bear in mind that the glory of the past, as glorious as much of it was, doesn't have to be the same as the glory of the future, does it? Because in the end, what really matters is not whether we build something similar to the past. And that's what they got, I think, focused on here. What mattered was doing the work of God faithfully and let him bring glory to himself 
by whatever he calls us to build. And whatever it looks like, whatever that new temple exactly looked like, whether it had all the same amounts or more gold, whether it was as big or not as big as the old one, or however exactly it looked. The point was, it was something in which God wanted to be able to take pleasure and, and honor, glory, honor, and pleasure for God was what mattered. And if for his people, that's what matters, then, then he will take pleasure in that and be honored and glorified. And comparing the present or the potential future to the past in that sense is not helpful. And I think this is where we have to trust God that the future will be more glorious than whatever glory there was in the past. And it doesn't have to look the same. So this is significant for your group and mine and any, any church, any group, any location is our sights must not be set on the past and our sights must not be just set on improving the present. Our sights must be on in what way can we as a group glorify God and honor him and please him? How can we build, in other words, use our efforts, our time, our talents, our, our gifts? How can we use what we have here, the people and whatever we have resources wise? How can we use this to, to please God and bring him the honor he deserves? And if that's our heart and we set our hearts and our efforts to that end, then the future will be more glorious than the past. It might be different to the past, but it will be more glorious because God is able to do whatever he needs to and wants to through us. He says, I'm with you. Do not fear. And you and I have an even better promise than they did then because they didn't have the spirit in the same way we have the spirit. And they didn't have God's presence in the same way personally that we do. John 14, 23, God says that he and Jesus will come and live in us. How much more you and I can trust God's presence with us even than they could. He is with us. He will work with us. It will be worth it. That's an issue of trust, isn't it? There's a call here to be courageous. There's a call here to be a little sober, but there's a call also to trust. He says, I am going to do all these other things. He talks about working for us. Uh, get on and do some do some work. But I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. I've got all the resources, all the things that other people think are glorious. It's mine anyway. The glory of this present house, greater than the glory of the former. In this place, I will grant peace. So in the end, our work can be work which is done in the peace of Christ. It doesn't have to be a, a tense, stressed labor for God. It will require sacrifice. There's no doubt about that. But it doesn't have to be uh, uh, tense and stressed. Peace comes to those whose priority is pleasing and honoring God. And God will do the rest in a little while, as he says he'll do all this shaking, an expression frequently found in eschatological passages of the Old Testament and in the New, which I'll put some uh, notes of those in the show notes. Shaking the heavens, bringing Messiah, really, is I think what he's basically talking about here in the end, bringing the desire of the nations, the only one that can unite all the nations into uh, those people who will love God, filling the house, perhaps filling the house with the Gentiles as well as Jews uh, in, um, in, in the ultimate vision for what's uh, going on here. God is saying he will rearrange the old order of things. Ultimately, that time will come when Jesus enters the temple, cleanses it and brings the living water and the powerful truth of God 
into the temple and into making it available for all peoples that will change our lives and the, the world around us. Glory will be God's, peace will be ours. Isn't that a, a wonderful promise and something to hold in our hearts as we work for God, doing our best to, to please him? Peace that is that passes understanding, a peace uh, uh, relationally with God uh, more than anything else, and a peace perhaps together as a community as we work for God's glory. So three things from this passage I see. The first is the value of reflecting. Where are we? Where were we? Where is God taking us? Um, where is my mind and my heart and that of our group? Are we focused on the past? Are we too focused on the present and our challenges? Or do we have God's vision and are we letting him call us to his vision so that the glory of the future will be even greater than any other glory glory we've ever experienced or seen uh, in the past because God always has a vision but for his vision to become a reality it does require us to be courageous be strong he says here be strong essentially be courageous I'm with you do not fear is there some area of courage that you need to uh, to grow in and finally trust trusting in him we're called to reflect to have courage and to trust and that those qualities will enable god to do more in the future than he's ever done in the past through you and i you know our um, aspirations to be a great church g-r-e-a-t require these qualities to be god focused does require us reflecting from time to time and trusting god being relationship based means also reflecting and being courageous and trusting God, enabling our children to become Christians. There's a lot of courage and faith involved there. Being always free but spiritual requires us to reflect and have courage and to trust God and toiling to build the church well. Yes, reflection from time to time, the courage to act no matter what's going on and trusting God for a better future than the past. All really important points. So, some points for reflection and question and discussion in our, in our local groups. Could you take some time to reflect on how the work for God is going where you are? What's your sense and the sense of your group as to whether God is finding pleasure and being honoured in and through your group? Secondly, are there any areas where fear is holding you or your group back from building something that would glorify God? And if so, what can you do to break through those fears? Would a study on the Holy Spirit or a study on the book of Revelation be useful? What would help you? Thirdly, thirdly, do you truly believe that the future will be more glorious than the past? What vision of a glorious future is God revealing to you and your group? And if that's not clear, what might help you and your group to discover, to understand and to grasp such a vision? Would a study of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, or the parables of the kingdom help you? Let me know what you think. Next time, we're going to go on to chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. Uh, in the meantime, I hope and pray that these thoughts will be useful to you, uh, reflecting, being courageous and trusting and let's see what, what God may end up doing through us, in us, to us, uh, right now and in the, in the future. If you've got any questions about any of this or want to drop a comment to it, to any of this, then please do. 
you can leave a comment anywhere you hear or see this recording. Uh, leave it pu publicly so that we can learn from each other because we learn best when we're learning in community. And that's always true and very important. If you know anybody that might benefit from this, do pass the link on and send me any questions you have about this or perhaps the next part of Haggai chapter 2. So until the next time, I pray that we'll be confident in reflecting and find insight from God, that we'll be courageous in our actions for God, being strong in his strength, and that we will trust him. Trust him that we don't need to fear, that he is with us, that he has great plans for us. He only ever has our best interests at heart for the glory of the future will be greater than the glory. Take care.